in the middle of Rome, at the top of the Aventine Hill, right near the Benedictine Monastery of San Anselmo, there's a very strange sight. Maybe you have seen it. No matter what time of day or night, there will probably be a bunch of people formed in a line perpendicular to a large green door. At first, it seems like people are waiting to get into an event, free tickets or half-price special. But if you watch closely, each person, when it comes to their turn, steps up to this door and looks through a small hole. It's a keyhole, actually. It leads to a garden and property that's belonged to the Knights of Malta since the Middle Ages. But what's interesting about the keyhole and why people line up to look through it and why I did the same thing is that if you look through it, framed perfectly in this little tiny hole, there in the distance is the dome of the Vatican. It's as though it was all sort of built that way. In Rome, this papal peephole draws a lot of interest, a lot of people. But I bet you anything, if we put a wall on 88th Street and put a tiny hole in it, before long, people would line up to look through it. There's just something about looking in that's a part of human nature. It's a, it's a part of our curiosity. We want to look deeper. We want to see closer. We want to get a better grasp of things. This yearning to look in, to see more, is at the very heart of tonight's gospel. In the reading we just heard from Luke, the people go to the tomb. They need to see. They want to see for themselves. They're prepared to look through anything, a crack in the door, a gap in the stones. They're not really sure. They expect to have to deal with the guards and maybe ask that the stone be moved away just so that they can tend the body of Jesus, Jesus their friend, Jesus their brother. They probably expect the worst, to see a body that is bloodied and beaten. But they go out of care. They go out of caring love for Jesus. Once there, as we heard, they find they don't need to look through a crevice or a small hole. The stone has been moved. Strange-looking men ask them, why do you look for the living among the dead? These men seem even stranger with what they say next. He is not here, but he has risen. He has risen. The women are amazed, and they go and tell the other disciples, and the other disciples just think it's too wild to believe, too good to believe. But eventually, Peter, who so often ventures out in faith, Peter decides to see what's really going on. He needs a, t a closer look. And so Peter goes to the tomb, and Peter looks in. And then they all look in. Inside the tomb, they find it, just as Mary has says, it, it's empty. But it's a different kind of emptiness, maybe, than they've ever experienced before. It's a different kind of emptiness than they've ever seen. 
They expect it to look in and see one thing, but they've seen other things instead. They expect it to see death and sadness and despair and darkness and failure. But when they look, they see the burial clothes that Jesus had used. They see emptiness, but it's, a, it's an emptiness that's full of possibility. It radiates promise. It, it holds life. It's that, that full emptiness that those first disciples find a new life for themselves. Because now, suddenly, somehow, everything has changed. There are numerous times in our lives when we might approach a precipice or the edge of something. And and so we lean out and sort of look in. Maybe it's when we first go to a new school or a new classroom and we look in to see what it's all about. Maybe at the beginning of life, we peer through a glass window and see new life there staring back at us. Maybe we look for hope and possibilities and opportunities. Maybe it's the end of life when we look into that final resting place for the ones we have loved. Probably when we do so, we know what to expect. Or do we? If we look in, what will we see? I'm reminded of a story the former Bishop Suffragan of the Diocese of Connecticut, uh, Bishop James Curry, not to be confused with our presiding bishop, Michael Curry. James Curry is a little older. But Bishop Curry tells a fantastic story about a trip that he was on in the Diocese of Labombo in Mozambique. He was there one year on Good Friday. It seems that in that place, the church in Maputo gathers every year on Good Friday for what they understand as a liturgy of the burial of Christ. A little like our Good Friday, but even more so. A black casket is brought into the church, complete with pallbearers. The pallbearers lift the lid off the casket and place it to the side. The bishop leads prayers for the people, the prayers that the people use every year, prayers affirming that Jesus is dead. He is really dead, and this is his funeral. The congregation then, after the prayers, is invited to file forward, just like they would any other funeral. They come forward two by two. They pay their respects. They're invited with particular words. They're invited with the words, come and see the one who has died and will rise again from the dead. Come and see the one who has died and will rise again from the dead. Acolytes and ushers are standing along the side and they help people move forward. Uh, Some have flowers that they give people if people want to then place a flower in the casket. And so people make their way forward, according to the bishop. Choirs are are singing as everyone pauses at the casket, bows, and then looks in at the one who has died, but who will rise again from the dead. 
Bishop Perry remembers watching this ceremony, and he knew that his turn would come, and so he was watching carefully to make sure he got it right, that he knew exactly where to pause and where to place the flower and where to look in and be respectful. And so he went forward, and he he took a flower, and he began to do what everyone else was doing. He approached what he understood to be a holy moment, and so he bowed, and he looked in. He looked in the casket, and there was a mirror. He was looking at himself. As he looked at his face, he heard those words, See the one who has died and will rise again. We are the ones who die in baptism who have died, who will die again and again, and yet we are raised again and again in new life in Christ. We are the ones who die daily to sin as we make good choices, as we repent, as we forgive, as we do our best and put one faithful foot in front of the other and walk with Christ into tomorrow. We rise from the dead little by little. We are the ones who one day will die to this earthly place. But because of the death and resurrection of Christ, we too will rise from the dead. Easter is about looking in, looking into an empty tomb and finding it full of possibility, looking into the future, even the future of the grave, and seeing in it the blending of images, the blending of our image with that of Christ. St. Paul reminds us that when we look at Christ, we see in a mirror dimly, but then one day face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall understand fully, even as I have been fully understood. And then Paul tells us how this works out, how we gaze, how we peer, how we keep looking. Those famous words of his tell us how to do it. We keep on looking in through faith and hope and love. Faith and hope and love. These three, the greatest of these, of course, being love. Perhaps tonight or tomorrow, as one of these newly polished crosses passes by, you might catch a glimpse of your face in the reflection, or, or perhaps if you come for communion, you might see your face in the chalice, or if you glance into the wine, the, the blood of Christ, you might see your face reflected back. I pray that all of us, in one way or another, whether this night or some other time, will begin to see more clearly our faces blending in with the risen face of Christ. My prayer for all of us this Easter is that we might be given the faith to look more deeply into the life of Christ and to find in his life the fullness of our lives, both here and hereafter. Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia.